Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Tamarcus. Hello, Tamarcus. How are you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm I'm ready for this show. I'm super excited about it because we have back on friend of the show, bum, 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 bum. Mason King. Mason is pastor at the Village Church and executive director of the Village Church Institute. He's a writer and a theologian, and he's a good friend of mine who I have learned from a ton. Uh, we've chatted, like I said, with Mason a few times. Last time, I think we talked about Christian... Um, Uh, education and Christian spiritual formation, which was a fascinating talk. Go back and find it uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. But today we want to talk about his new book, Spiritual Disciplines, How to Become a Healthy Christian. Mason, you're a busy man. You're finishing a book. You're one of those people who I think of when I think of like they have monster capacity, um, and I'm jealous of that. But <laughs> tell us a little bit um, about how you're doing, and is there anything else we should know about you? Uh, I am halfway through my doctorate. I'm in my last seminar. Yeah, I'm in my last seminar, finishing, trying to finish up a PhD in church history, okay. writing on Jonathan Edwards and like character and virtue formation. Um, I, it, it made my chest tight, which is why you heard that sigh. I was like, Ooh, okay. Oh, it's going to be fun. No, it will be. It's just a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, sure. It's slow and steady. And I think one of the things that I realized over the last decade, and this, this degree has taken me six years to get halfway Hmm. is that, uh, monster capacity is not always the best and rightest thing. Sure. So, I mean, even like. We'll talk about this book, but really the limit section of this book is born out of mm. realizing that I over I overfunction to try and get something that I need mm. uh, that the Lord can the Lord alone can give me. Oh. And so even through the good things of like trying to chase achievements, I've had to realize like, yeah, you don't have to overperform. It's okay. Uh, so I've just kind of tried to slow down on the things I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so let's taking that. Yeah. So you, there's a portion of this book that you're saying was born out of personal experience. As If you wanted to step back for us a little bit and say, what spurned you on to write this book and how did you sort of, when did God first capture your imagination about the disciplines? Uh, maybe you could just oh, give us a little background and history on that. Yeah. Um, I've always been interested in the development of character mm. and like, how do you, like, who do you want to be? How do you mm-hmm. become that, that way? Right. And uh, I, I read a book by Edmund Morris, who's a biographer in college, and it was called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt. Mm. And that biography about Teddy, I, it fascinated me. And so thinking about a hero of mine, how he became who he was, I think I read that book at the same time I read Willard's uh, Divine Conspiracy Yeah, uh, about spiritual formation, right. about the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And I was graduating college was going to take a couple gap years to go do some things and then go to seminary. And I interviewed six people that six guys I knew who were in their sixties and seventies, like further on in their careers, had families that I had somehow gotten in contact with. And I sent them letters and I said, Hey, 23, 
I would love to know um, who are your heroes and why. Mm. And then what what habits have sustained you over the last 30 years? Like what really mattered and mm. paid off? And then what advice would you give me mm. as tw- at, at, a 23, at 23 years old? And I said, I'll drive to you. I'll buy you coffee. I'll do whatever. And man, I had really some life-changing conversations, mm. getting to talk to them about uh, those three questions. And as I went on to uh, work, go to school, get married, raise children, continually drawn into uh, thoughts around Jesus says we're supposed to change into a certain type of person mm. and that we can partner with the Holy Spirit in that. So I don't just sit around, like, what do I need to be doing? Mm. And uh, and so I've always just read and wrote and thought and tried to teach in that space. And you know, I told my wife a couple of years ago, if I ever got to write about something, it'd be this. And then I got into a conversation where I got the opportunity to write about this. And I thought, all right, Lord, this is awesome. Let's do it. And really wanted to serve uh, through this little work because it's a short work. I tried to write it at a very approachable level of why would you think about this? Why is it important? And how do you how do you hold out beauty and light and a, and a better thing that actually could be difficult? when everything else that's easy uh, is not good for you. Mm. So I, mm. I, talk, I talk about how the world right now wants to remove friction from you, mm-hmm. make everything easy and fast, but anything that's worth doing is usually difficult. And so I just wanted to try and paint that picture. Like the Christian life is extremely difficult, but it's worth it and it's beautiful and good. And so that's kind of how I got into the book, how I've been thinking through it. Um, trying to invite people into a conversation around it. Facts. Well, it is definitely conveyed uh, in the book. And as you, as you think about that, so that, that gives us a beautiful picture of kind of the, um, how you arrived at like what the book is about. And even as you just said, you know, um, people getting into it, uh, who is the, the people you have in mind, right? So as you're writing, um, is there a particular like audience or demographic that, uh, that you're thinking about, uh, that will be engaging with this book? Uh, yeah, it's I teach every week in our training program, which has people from men and women from um, 18 years old to 65 years old. Hmm. And they they have been in the church for 30 years or they're new to the faith. And so I've tried to engage at a level that we all can relate to. And so when I talk about, you know, we need to offer our whole selves to God, we offer our attention, our limits, our emotions to God. Mm. We all have those things. And we all know what it is to struggle with our attention, to struggle with our emotions, and to want to be more than we are. And so I try to work through examples and invite people to see themselves in the in the examples in the stories. So really I'm trying to hit all of us from young adult to uh, great grandparent. Mm. Mm. That's good. Well I I want to get in, into the book a little bit. Like I said, uh, the book's about spiritual disciplines, um, you know, how to become a healthy Christian. And I think, you know, even myself, because I, I particularly have, you know, love, love this, this topic as well. And a lot of times when you pick up a book like this, um, you can expect to kind of get like, you know, kind of the bullet point chapters of like, you know, 10 steps to the disciplines. First, pray. Second, you know. Um, no mm-hmm. knock to that, but that's typically, you know, the experience I have. And you kind of take a different um, different approach. You spend uh, almost about the first third of the book kind of setting up um, some of the, like, foundations of, like, 
uh, why do we do this? What is God after? Um, kind of addressing some of the uh, pushback you may receive. Like, is this not just like works? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you kind of engage yeah. uh, with a number of different questions before you actually get into some of the um, practices and disciplines themselves. Why, what, why did you find um, that important to do um, as you were writing uh, before just kind of getting into some of the, I guess, some of the practical pieces? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks. Uh, I think this has been said for a long time in church history, but I think you do what you love. Mm-hmm. Like you're mm. going to go towards the things that you think are better for you and best for you. And usually that's what brings pleasure or brings delight. And so uh, if it's the path of less resistance and more reward, then we gravitate towards that. And in looking at how to invite people into a higher quality of life and what it is to really delight in Jesus, part of the work, and I say this in the the book, but a lot of becoming who we're supposed to be is unlearning what we've told ourselves. Mm. And so I have conversation after conversation with people that think that being a Christian is to hate themselves and to think that they're worthless um, instead of to know that they are loved and treasured and the sin that is in them that separates them from God uh, and that causes them not only to want bad things, but to, to do bad things is what God is after to remove mm-hmm. and that he makes provision for. And so the number of people I've talked to that confuse uh, the way that God the Father looks at us and think that he's the angry God in the Old Testament and that Jesus is super nice, very compassionate, the guy you want to hang out with because he forgives you, they miss the fact that Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. And if you if you know me, you know the Father's heart for you and the Father's heart for you is restoration. And coming yeah. into the family. And so I spend the first third of the work trying to really disarm the things that we've told ourselves because mm-hmm. we make sense of life as we go along. We settle those opinions and 20 years passes and we're still going off what we've told ourselves at 19 hmm. instead of reinterpreting what we learn and understand about God as we get older. Um, and that really, like it, it changes the script for us as we look in the scriptures and we see who God is. Uh, so that's, I wanted to address those questions and then to help people understand and in a sense reckon with where they've given away self-control for quick reward or pleasure. Hmm. And, you know, we're being we're being shaped and formed in our day and age. One of the, ch- the primary challenges we have to deal with with our attention is we're being shaped and formed by uh, the attention economy. And so realizing that the tools and gadgets that have offered their services to us are actually diminishing our ability to act as fully like fully formed creatures Hmm. um, because we're just stuck in these attention loops of looking for a reward and those have great impact on us they're not all bad but they have great impact on us so i wanted to tease that out to be able to talk about it i think you know Okay, so a couple things. Let's let's talk about not defeaters necessarily, but just some some pushback because you do a good job of this in the book, but I really did want to dive into it. There's a couple things. One is you mentioned culture and how culture is vying for our attention and mm-hmm. where we're trying for this kind of um you know, it's it's easier to live in a frictionless way. God Uh, Mm -hmm. offers something better, but also more difficult. Okay, so you have that side. But then you have the other side kind of within the church itself. And I do think churches have done a better job, or maybe just from from the 
uh, standpoint of sort of what's out there academically, et cetera, people are recovering the idea of becoming. Um, It's within the last decade or so. But I still do hear often a couple things within churches, and I... It's curious to me. One is that this spiritual disciplines is law, um, or um, and and again, you do address this, this is works or something, or um, this thing where maybe kind of disciplines and how it connects to formation. So you have one where it's like disciplines and how it. One problem is people see the disciplines as the wrong way to approach formation because it's legalistic. The other is within church. It's like, hey, this whole formational thing is maybe it's too hard. Maybe we can't figure it out. So it's just Jesus saves you. The gospel is all all, all about being, not about becoming. And then we just go missions. Like if you're not just out there sharing your faith, sure. that Jesus saves yeah. you, like all this other stuff is a distraction and not it's not really what should, we should be focused on. I'd love for you to kind of speak to those two um, maybe criticisms, uh, and you address uh, that you address in the book as well, but yeah. Yeah. So, so the first one of, uh, grace versus law, right. Or yeah. And then the second one of being versus doing Yeah, and trying to cut them apart. Yeah. It's interesting. I have, you know, uh, Adam, you ever done a CrossFit workout? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Marcus, you. Oh yeah, with snatches. So it was. It was same. Terrible. Same. It was. Yeah. The worst okay. Experience yeah. So certain certain type of punishment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things that we'll just we'll take our friend, um, our friend who's been doing that for a while, mm-hmm. who has been formed in a way of engaging in discipline. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I God-like. hope that when I. <laughs> and when I am in Snetzer's, when I am in Snetzer's season of life, I hope I have that mobility and strength and just all around awesomeness. Right. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. Like I, I have a daily workout thing that I follow mm-hmm. and I don't do it because it's like, gosh, all of a sudden this ginger skinned person's going to become an Adonis. <laughs> it's I I'm looking at my kids. I'm like, I want to chase your grand. Like I want to chase my grandkids Mm -hmm. and I want to, I want to have a life in 40 years Mm -hmm. that I enjoy because I've made choices now. Yep. And I think when we, when we think about our health or we think about our finances, we are willing to engage with effort. So when you think about the, the story of health and wellness, how many vitamins, how many workout routines, how many quick fixes are we willing to engage in mm-hmm. or going, yeah, I'm just going to dedicate myself to that. When you get to a certain season of life and you might sit with someone talking about your 401k or your 403b or what it is to try and put away for your kids, like the pressure you feel when you have children to want to save money for college and thinking, okay, well, that's just, that is the the good life is that I'm providing well down the line. Mm. And you'll give yourself to that and you actually financially cost yourself over a long period of time for a future benefit, either for yourself or for someone else. But when it comes to uh, delaying short-term gratification for long-term gain over the character of ourselves, our perspective is about three days long, not 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so trying to think through, and, and Willard says this, he's like, Grace is not opposed to effort. Mm-mm. Grace is supposed to earn it. Yep. 
And when you when you read the New Testament and you look at the call, the call is, hey, deny yourself. First, you have to know yourself. Yeah. Like you have to under, understand how you became who you are, how you were formed, what your traps are, the light and shadow of your own personality, the good and the bad. And then you have to deny mm -hmm. those things and be formed into the way of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that takes work. Yeah. And that's in the front of the book, I quote uh, Snodgrass about people want to be oaks. And when they figure like, oh man, becoming an oak is hard. I'd rather be a bramble bush. Right. Well, yeah. Like you have a culture of bramble bushes because to discipline oneself is to actually go against culture to stand out as different and to have to count that cost. Mm. So what's hard, I think, is that people people don't, in our modern contemporary society, people don't like anything that sounds or smells like judgment. Right. And if there's something that you're going to work at and you fail at it, and therefore you could be judged as less than, the interpretation that we have of God influences that. Right. And so that's why I spent, like to Mark's your earlier question, why I spend so much time trying to talk about who God really is, yeah. who he reveals himself to be, is that he is not shaming us when we fail. He's inviting us forward. Right. And if you, real, if you realize that in Christ, you have been covered in every time, like I, always, I tell myself, hey, if I feel like I'm behind on my Bible reading, if I wake up another day, I'm invited into prayer. I'm invited into reading the Bible because I have another day of life. Mm. I'm not shamed for what I didn't do yesterday. It's all right, Lord, you give me another day. Like I'm going to move forward knowing that your mercies are new. Yeah. I'm in Christ and you're for me. Yes. Um, but anything that we, if we're holding onto a view of God as judge and jury mm -hmm. and executioner, yeah, then, and that, that's just all that he wants to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then we're not seeing, we're not seeing the God of the Bible. Right. And we're allowed, we're allowing that to influence our relationship with him and how we think we can be formed as we move along. Right. So that's one. The, yep. se the second one of, um, hey, you just need to know that you're saved and then go get other people saved. Right. Uh, this is evangelicalism of the last 80 years, right. 150 years, right? where it's so it's intertwined with a lot of things, but it basically boils down to, oh, you don't need to learn. You just need to know that God loves you. Mm -hmm. um, yes, God loves you. And he's told you a lot about himself. And he's designed how the world should work. Mm. And so you need to know how he's designed how the world should work. Mm. And when you get saved and when you realize that uh, you can become a child of God, you've got to unlearn a lot of things. <laughs> but you you unlearn those things by learning the truth, not by sitting around and watching TV. Right. And so you are in community with other people, like uh, trying to raise three kids right now. And my wife and I are looking at it going, I can't just tell them, don't do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. I actually have to, I have to be patient and love them in their worst moments so that they know what it is for someone to be patient with them and love them. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a lot easier to get impatient or to try and control behavior. And we do this with ourselves, mm -hmm. but you don't get to be patient unless someone's been patient with you. Mm -hmm. And so if it's just, Hey, repent of your sin. And then you go on and tell someone else, you've left a lot of people uh, knowing that they're forgiven, but stuck in stuck in their old way of life. Mm -hmm. And so the, the great commandment is twofold, like share the gospel and then teach them how to obey and know. Yeah. And like that's you baptize and you teach. Right. And so we can't separate those two. And often we can separate the two because we feel insufficient in one. Yeah. So there even are people who just want to be formed and don't want to go tell. Right. And so 
their information seeking becomes a cold intellectualism. Hmm. But I don't think that's driven by love. Right. I don't, because if it's driven by love, it's influencing who you are and you want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I, so think, I see both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just to comment on that, I think what you said a minute ago, which is God care. Here's what's so great about this spiritual disciplines book. It is so hopeful, you know, yes. in the same way that we, we were, ju- you were just saying a minute ago, um, it's not just prescription or something like that. God actually cares about who you're becoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus wants to change you. Yep. And that's not, that's a super hopeful message because to your point, it's not, you're not stuck where you are, you yeah. know, um, that there is freedom and life and movement and it's a dynamic and beautiful life. Yes. Filled with effort, but you coming into contact with Jesus will change you. And that's really beautiful. And the effort of getting to know him better and understand how he's wired you and wired this world to work, all the things you've just said, Mason, uh, is a really hopeful message of change. And I just, I think, I think that's important. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. Picture, to your point, a picture came to mind while you were saying that it was kind of convicting to me of like, man, how often do I see uh, uh, God is like the this my scolding middle school football coach who every time I made a mistake was like ah, Raglan ah. or like um, and not like the parent like celebrating their child trying to take steps in like potty train and it's like there's sure. like a it's a mistake but it's like good job like you you took two more and it's um, like this uh, this joy in watching us grow and develop. Um, and it's like, man, that's kind of a, a, a more beautiful picture of mm. how uh, these interface with uh, the grace of God. I love what you you said at the, the end of the introduction, um, that the um, the the standard of relationship with God uh, is not does not end at our uh, what do you say? It doesn't end at our uh, maturity, but it's it's measured by uh, God's generosity. Um, I probably butchered it. He says it more beautiful (laughs) in the book, buy it and read it. Um, but it's like that, like, that's the picture that this is, this is an invitation out of a place of abundance. Um, and we're not like trying to work out of a deficit, I Mm. think is, 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 it changes the orientation around it. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's why I use the metaphor of a tree. Yeah. I try to use that throughout the entire book is like, you're invited to root yourself next to the river of God's love. And if you're rooted there and you pay attention to feeding those roots or just making sure they are going to the right place, mm. man, at the end of your life, you are a strong oak. And it takes, there's lots of turns and lots of twists, sure. but the Lord's faithful. Amen. And that's the picture that I have for my own life and that I want to put forth here is like, pay attention to where you are drawing nourishment from and go to the right source. Getting granular then, like diving in a little bit more, um, maybe the the question that's begged from that, and we've we've talked about it, but just getting more detailed about it is like, okay, so now we've just said Jesus cares that he's changing you. He cares about who he's making you into. You know, the the explicitly stating that he's he's forming you into his image, right? Mm-hmm. Into the image of Christ. You're becoming Christ-like. Um, there's ways we could deal detail that. But now stepping into, okay, so how do spiritual disciplines do that? What role are they playing specifically as we talk about becoming like becoming a healthy Christian? Maybe yeah. and, and if I'm skipping a step, Mason, back back us up. But, no, but yeah, fine. yeah, let's talk about that. Why are spiritual disciplines important to this? Why isn't it simply a matter of like 
um, I don't know, go to church or something, you know, or, or whatever. Like we're, I mean, yeah, that's one that that is a yeah. discipline. Going to church is a discipline. Sure. Just as we're going to talk about that. Yeah, sure. But you you get what I'm saying. And, and maybe what, what are what are some disciplines that historically have helped? You know, just like if we were you mentioned CrossFit a minute ago, if we were talking about working out, you could say you could talk about running. You could talk about different what historically sure. are certain disciplines and what have what have they produced? Why? Why are they? How are they connected yeah. to producing a Christian? Yeah. 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 Uh, disciplines themselves are just actions. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you could have any list of actions and you could say that they're disciplines for different things. Yep. When we talk about spiritual disciplines, they are a way of creating space to pay attention to God mm -hmm. in your life. That's and so when you, when you think about, I'm going to take time to pray, I'm going to take time to read the Bible, or I'm going to not look at my phone for a set period of time, you're just reclaiming space in your mental thought patterns in your life. And you're letting your heart quiet mm. and which is difficult. Like I talk about this in the book of how many of us go to a stoplight and we've had someone honk behind us when the light turns green because we're busy scrolling our phone. Mm -hmm. Like it happens to all of us. But when you do that enough and you crowd out the opportunity for silence in your life because you're feeding off of some distraction, mm -hmm. when, when do you have time to hear the still quiet voice of God? Mm. Aside from him interrupting you in a larger way. And usually that's to get your attention. Um, and so the disciplines are a way. Historically, it's been withdrawing from things or engaging in things. Yep. So I, uh, I am a fun, loving, people, loving introvert. <laughs> and I love being around people. I love having a good time. A discipline for me often is to put myself around people when I just want to escape. Mm -hmm. And that's for Amen. me to look for the good in other people and to pay attention to what God is doing in them. Or it's uh, prayer and being silent before the Lord, not just writing out all my wants. You know, mm -hmm. Eugene Peterson talks about this, about how all speech is answering speech. Like all prayer is, is listening because God has been speaking. Mm. And mm. so how many of us, how many of us start prayer by just lodging into, Hey, here are the things I want. Here are the things I need. Here's where I'm stressed. Instead of entering in quietly, listening, and maybe even asking God what we should be talking or praying about mm -hmm. and letting him kind of direct by the power of his spirit in us and by the scriptures that we're interacting with. Um, there's just, there's a lot of historical practices that you can look through that we have created space in our life. I think one of the things about this book that, uh, the few people I've interacted with around it so far have said, it's like, this isn't a typical book. Like it doesn't give me a list of things. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And I was looking for that list of like, here are the disciplines. Right. And what I'm trying to convey is some work for some. There are some that work for all, mm -hmm. like you need to be praying. You need right. to be reading your Bible. Right. You need to be with the saints. Mm -hmm. You need confession and repentance. Um, you need to be fasting. You need to like voluntarily uh, deprive yourself of instant gratification for a period of time to show yourself what you really are going after. Mm. So when people are like, why should I fast? Why should I not? Uh, why should I deprive myself if all things are good for me? It's like, well. It helps me like right now I'm trying to not eat a bunch of sugar 
Because I realized that when I get stressed, I like sweets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. And, but in that, to tell myself, no, you can't have that. And I feel irritable and I'm like, okay, well, usually I would just comfort that irritability with sugar. Mm-hmm. Like give me some chocolate and peanut butter instead of I'm going to handle this and realize that like, I've got an issue that I need to take to the Lord mm-hmm. so that I'm not dominated by my stomach. Yep. And in a world that tells you, you have what you want within 24 hour shipping, or you can have it delivered to your grocery store and go pick it up. Or your grocery store will deliver it to your car. Mm-hmm. We just don't have patience for that stuff right now. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The, what? Okay. You That's just so good. you just said. I mean, you said a lot there. There's many things. Uh, the the do I, I, do I need to answer in shorter sentences? No, like you just no, shorter. No, okay. that's really helpful. Um, it's just which one do I want to tackle? So, you know, your the focus in the book, like you said, is actually to define at a higher level what the disciplines are. It's creating space to pay attention to God. So rather than we, there are diagnostic questions to ask. Yeah. To see whether you're doing that. The one you gave us is, um, when do you have time to hear the still, quiet voice of God? Or when are you making that? So if you're listening to this, if you're a listener and saying, how often, how am I creating space to hear the still, quiet voice of God? And if you have a list of some things, oh, well, I do this, I do that. It's like, okay, you're practicing some disciplines. Good job. But if, uh-huh. if the answer to that is, well, I'm, I'm not. I don't think I am. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Um, yeah. Or I've got too much content that I need to get through. Yeah. Right. And so, like, so, so then the second, that, that's where I was about to go is like, and you said one at the end, What 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 is competing with us? I mean, I think we probably can assume where this is going, but I think it's good to just talk about a little bit is like, if you just said it, I have too much content to go through. I mean, so look, here's what's reality. Let's talk about many of us in our life stage. The three of us right now who are sitting here, we all have kid, young children yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, we have wives and we have lives. Uh, but um, all none of those things have to become excuses for why we don't. There is time. We can create this space. So what are some other things that vie for our attention? I want to, in other words, I want to be charitable. It's not like all of us all day long are just on our phones. It's like, we're also like driving home from work thinking, how can I help my wife out? It's going to be chaotic when I first get home. You know, there's a ton of, you know, I I don't want to create the straw man, but but maybe paint a picture of some things that are vying for our attention and how we can maybe start to create some of this, that space. Yeah. I think part of that would be like how scattered is our attention? Mm. And so if it's, Hey, what are the things that vie for our attention? It's like, well, you have to have, like, if you have a solid bucket, like if I get one of those blue lows, five gallon buckets and my attention goes into that bucket. So I can give that, I can pour that out somewhere. That's great. But it's almost like I took a drill and drilled 50 holes in that bucket. (laughs) And all like the bottom and the sides all around. And so every day my attention goes out in little places that I'm not realizing and I'm just giving it away. So I, you know, I, I firmly believe that your attention is the most precious commodity you have. Mm. If you look at just what the external world is trying to pay to get your attention, you realize how valuable it is. Mm. And we give it away because we get bored. And which just tells me, Hey, we have a lot in our minds. And in trying to deal with the stresses and pressures that we feel, uh, we need to think through where our attention is going. So like a charitable read is I try to be 
gracious to myself, which is right. a discipline in practice. Yes. Um, I cannot let the pressure to keep up or to be in the know or to be connected everywhere weigh heavily on me because it will keep me subscribing to YouTube channels to try and like level up on skills. It'll keep me trying to get to know what my friends are doing um, via Instagram. It will, it will distract me because if I'm doing that through my phone, there's billions of dollars spent to keep me in my phone. Like the phone is not neutral um, by any means. And the platforms are not neutral. My attention is the product. But even if I'm home and I'm not on my phone, I think a lot of us want to default to blame something, but it's like having control over our attention in ourselves. Like Pascal, Pascal said this, Blaise Pascal, who's 17th century French philosopher, said, mm -hmm. like, man's greatest problem is he can't sit in a room by himself. Mm -hmm. And like, try it. Just like, uh, try and sit quietly and try and see if you can make it longer than 15 minutes. Like it just, there's very few of us that can do it these days. And so to answer your question and not go too long, Adam, it is, hey, we need to think through the things that cut our attention in little pieces and the things we're prone to go to in distraction. And I think lowering the expectation to be superhuman, because when we expect ourselves to be able to do more than we can, we mm -hmm. constantly live under condemnation of not doing enough. Mm. And that's like in the limits section, I talk about this of like, I'm just, I've realized I've gotten, you know, I'm at midlife now and I'm realizing I have spent the last 15 years trying to do more than I should. Mm. Like I just over-function and, you know, a good friend of mine told me recently, he's like, for you to just function normally is going to feel like you're not doing enough. And you have to ask, you know, like I realize I have to ask myself the question, but what is enough and who is enough for? And what has God asked me to do? And what am I, what am I telling myself, shaming myself to do? Mm. And that helps me with my attention. So if I get home at the end of a workday, or if I'm sitting in a meeting with colleagues and reports, or, or if I'm preaching, I'm able to hold my attention in a space that is, I'm loved by God. I don't have to overperform. And I need to think through the things that are drawing me away from paying attention to the moment right now. Mm. Does that answer your question? Am I yeah. in the ballpark? Yes, absolutely. Can I add a contour? Yeah, because I know we 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 mentioned a minute ago. I'm thinking in my my young adult minister brain. Uh, yeah, because we talked about you know all of us sitting here we're married with children and it it made me think of a narrative which I mean I'm guilty of spewing too and you kind of convicted me just now of you know for the for the singles listening that there is a way especially in the church where it's like, you know, like you're, you know, God, singleness is a gift. This is true. Um, but it's like, so you should have this even more capacity because you don't have a family. Oh yeah. Like, my gosh. Yeah. This, this. So you you're should be able to like move 10,000 <laughs> sure. miles per hour even more. And it's like, man, like how, like, is that helpful? Like, um, no. when you're thinking about this, yeah. In, in light of everything you just said, right. It feels like, no, there, there's a another kind of danger in that space where it's like, man, I feel like I should have even more capacity and I'm trying to juggle the relationships and the FOMO or to your point of like sitting in a room. Like, it seems like that creates a whole nother kind of challenge. Uh, how, maybe speaking like yeah, that kind I of mean, context. 
if you, if you, and I've heard the argument before and engaged with it of you're single, therefore you have plenty of time. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how much time you have because I have kids. I mean, I've said this, like I have kids and I realize how much time I don't have. Gosh, it's one, it's arrogant Two, like it is a life stage reality, but it is mm -hmm. not better. It is mm -hmm. not a better reality. And when I was not married and was single and had time and did not have uh, dependence, as my tax forms call them, <laughs> what I what I did have was time to offer God and time to offer friends, but it does not mean I have to overfunction in that time. Mm. And so when we when we say to someone, well, you're single, so you've got lots of time, you, you should just be on top of everything. Well, I think what we're doing is we're subtly encouraging poor self-management. Mm. And like if you play that out, when that individual gets, if that if that individual chooses to get married, what type of self are they able to bring into the marriage? One who is secure in the identity in Christ, who knows what it is to govern themselves and their appetites and their attention, and who has spent time in the quiet habits building with the Lord, or one who has just been hustled and hurried and their attention is in pieces. Hmm. But now they've they've got another person in the midst of it. And so I mean, I I think being single is a great opportunity to practice disciplines of becoming the kind of person you want to be for the rest of your life that you also then get to offer to a spouse if the Lord gives you one. Yeah. How do we know if we're over functioning or under functioning? Because what's hard about this yeah. honestly yeah. is all of our attention spans are over-functioning in this age because right. everything is aimed at us to say, like you said, is grabbing Breaking our attention. News. So even if you're like, like there's a sense in which we all feel harassed and hurried because we're all doom scrolling and then we're late to the meeting because we've been doom scrolling and then, oh, I forgot to read that book. Is that is that over or under, right? Like, and so I, hmm. I, I do think there is a question, like for instance, it's like, um, you're talking about a particular struggle of trying to do so much, right? Um, and and your doing is probably connected to a shame voice and some other things mm -hmm. that are happening within you. But what diagnostics could you ask? Am I over or am I under functioning? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I I think it's it's going to take some self knowledge of like, hey, what are my what am I getting from this? Mm. So I think an an over functioning response can be one of control over circumstance or trying to uh, cement or solidify something that you're looking for in your identity. Mm. So in a stress situation, is there somebody who just jumps in and has to be in control of it? Well, they might be over-functioning and thinking they need to, they need to bear everything. Right. Um, in a shame situation, is it, uh, well, I need to do enough so that you know I can always, I can always do more. And therefore I prove myself. Mm. Okay. Well, that's over-functioning. You're under-functioning in some spaces because you're not like in the right things, you're not functioning properly. Right. right. In the wrong yep. things, you are over-functioning. Um, and so as you think through that, I would think, what do I find myself uh, having anxiety over, needing to avoid or gain control over? Mm. And how am I using what God's given me to steward? Mm. And so if someone's like, well, I'm just choosing to do two things. And it's like, okay, well, great. You have two things to do. <laughs> but out of everything else, it looks like to me that you could engage in other spaces and give your time in other spaces. That could be under-functioning. Mm -hmm. And it could be, that could be an esteem issue, a uh, 
community issue, different mm-hmm. things. So I I think there is I think all of us over and under function in certain spaces. Yeah. And depending on your type of personality, you've got to work through that. Mm. Uh, the the under functioners probably get called lazy in our cultural narratives more than anything else. And so the over functioners get called hustlers and they get rewarded. Mm. And so like, we just have to think through that. I, I think pulling back to go, what does my anxiety show me? Where is the pattern of my thoughts going? Uh, what am I afraid to bring to the Lord? Or what do I bring other than Jesus to be rewarded for? Mm. And that would help us kind of get into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I heard something uh, similar from a, a great theologian, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. Uh, <laughs> she had a, a, she, there was like a little, a tweeted video, but she was, she was talking about this kind of this. I think it gets what you're saying. Cause in some senses, uh, the like call to slow down to the hustlers feel like you're asking them to be lazy. And then to the lazy, when you're like, hey, I think you do a little more. It's like, oh, you want me to like extinguish myself. And she she kind of described like there's a way in which um, in order for me to be good for the things that that I need to do. I mean, hard worker, lots of things to do. It's like um, she's like, hey, I'm probably going to do the event. And like, I can't do the after party because that's going to that's going to overextend because I need to be good for the next thing. And so she's like, I've had to train myself to say no at enough um, and not at depleted. Mm -hmm. And I thought like that was such a good measure. Cause even in my own life, like you said, there's a, there's a sense in which uh, under functioning could come because I'm too distracted with things that don't matter. So I think that might, that's like a question to ask. Um, What I'm hearing you say is like, am I, Am I overextended because I'm giving, I'm spending too much time doing things that, that don't count? Mm-hmm. Or am I like busy doing a lot of things that count, but it's like, it's not on me to do it all, you know? And mm-hmm. it's right. have, asking those questions in the context of community. It sounds like you're saying helps us get there. Yeah. And in the, in the final part of the book, in the limits section, I talk about this of like, you know, they call this the burnout generation because mm. none of us know when to stop and rest. Mm. And we, and we think that rest is something like we'll sleep later. You know, you only live once, keep moving. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, I have pulled enough all-nighters as an adult trying to finish projects where I then know the cost of it later in Mm -hmm. my life Mm -hmm. because I can't function properly in certain spaces. And so that's been a real physical reminder to me of limits of going, no, I have to say no to X, Y, and Z in order to do these things that are coming up. Mm. And I can't, I can't live with a two day attention span. I have mm. to live with a much longer one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're 19 and you feel invincible, you can do that. And it's like, yeah, I can do that. There's no long-term cost. Most of us believe that, but like I, every year I feel the cost greater when I try to deny I have physical limitations, yeah. let alone emotional ones or, uh, attention limitations. And the idea, again, and not to get us on a rabbit trail, but just as we're talking, the person who starts to feel like, wow, I feel very condemned by this conversation. I feel like I'm doing it all wrong. Where's how's this, How does Jesus fit into this, right? Um, what what do we say to them? Because here's, here, here's the, the part. It's like, here's what I want people to know. Again, just a reminder, it's, it's effort, not earning. And then the idea of becoming, it's saying that Jesus created you a certain way, and he created you 
um, to rest. He actually commands yeah. it. He created you to recognize your limitations. He cre- if you're over-functioning, what you're doing is you're not living in light of the gospel. That's what's happening. If you're over-functioning, you're not living in light of the fact that Jesus loves you and accepts you, and you don't have to prove, and you don't have to earn, and you don't have to do everything to be everyone, because then you're trying to be God. So again, just Mm -hmm. pulling, I'm just wanting to pull us back to say, like, when there's a way in which you can start talking about what we're talking about, limitations and that, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this sounds just like, like, you know, this could sound like a TED talk in a sense. It's like, you know, be more productive and you can be more productive by recognizing that you're a limited human being. That's not actually what we're saying. We're not saying you can be more productive, although that might be something that comes along with this. We're saying you can be more like Jesus and you don't have to be God. That's what we're actually saying. Yeah. I mean, the, the invitation is again, to make space in your life, to be formed by the spirit who is not going to stand in front of you with a megaphone, right? but is going to, and to invite you into the quiet ways that mm. were shown in the New Testament to become a certain kind of person. Mm. And those are the kind of people you want to be around. Right. Like tomorrow, we were, we were talking about this earlier of like, when I meet people who I know in their heart are settled, have spent time with Christ often, who have been shaped by the Spirit, gosh, I want to be around them. Mm. And they look different than people that I'm walking hurriedly past or I see in different spaces that I know their lives are distinct. Mm-hmm. And gosh, that's a, that's an incredible apologetic to our contemporary age. Amen. To be, a, to be a certain kind of person that has the wherewithal because of the work of the Spirit to give undivided attention, to be present with the person in front of them, to remember things about their life and to put courage into them by being a genuine friend. Like those things are disciplines and they're an apologetic of love and beauty mm-hmm. for the gospel. Yeah. And so that's what that's what we can do. And for the person who says, well, gosh, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do or I feel condemned. It is the voice is not shame. Mm-hmm. The voice is like there is a good and bad type of shame. We all know that too many of us shy away from the good type of shame because we don't like something that feels like judgment. Mm. And this is just something that historically was called conviction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like uh, Snodgrass has this quote that I, I think I use in the book as well, because I've benefited from his work. Like you can't change unless you're willing to be displeasing to yourself. Mm. You have to be willing to go, I don't really like who I am right now. Mm. And I want to change. Because if you if you get to that point and, the, and you allow space for the Holy Spirit to go, hey, these are the ways that people have like historically been changed by the work of the Spirit, you start to give yourself to those disciplines. Yeah. And, and it's like if you're trying to lose weight, you don't, you don't measure yourself or weigh yourself every day. You don't, if you're trying to grow plants in the backyard, you don't go see if they've sprouted, how much they've grown every day. You look in week and month intervals. Mm. And so too many of us are looking for life change and like what we can microwave when we need to be thinking about a long-term mentality. Yeah. Um, and that allows that. us to give grace to ourselves and understand how people work. I love that. Um, as, as Even as you were talking, I was thinking about for those listening yet, yeah, understanding that this is uh, a lifelong 
uh, process. Yeah. And you, you do a good job of pointing us, uh, helping us kind of see the reality of now, but also giving us a vision for the future. I just want to read this two two I just feel like a powerful statement you make that kind of uh book in uh, the ideas at the book in the in the beginning you say God is not waiting for a future version of you to love and he has a future version of you in mind and so there's like this tension of like right where you are if you're feeling if you're feeling that man I don't like who I am but I'm trying to I want to be more God what does that look like that there is a we need to know that he loves us right now, that he's not yeah. waiting on us to get better to love. Um, but he also does have that that mm-hmm. vision in mind and mm-hmm. the roadmap on how to get there. Um, right. And then at the end, just as we are sloppily trying to take steps forward, right, that we, it seems like we take two steps forward and three steps back. Because honestly, I mean, just like you articulated before when you fast, it's like a lot of times in practicing the disciplines, uh, before we feel like we've made progress, we realize how much more work we have to right. do, right? Like, oh, I'm actually not good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, this is a lot harder than I expected. Which in itself is a sign of progress. Which is exactly, <laughs> um, because we're more, we made more aware of our need. Um, and in the end, right, the process of becoming, you say, while we need daily reminders to depend on God, Christ loves without a sticky note. Mm. Our union to Christ is an invitation to receive love rather than fight for God's attention. And so it's like, we need that reminder and that constant point back to his, uh, uh, to continue to push forward and to do the disciplines. And it's like, but God's not, he's not struggling to continue to extend love. Um, he's, he's loving and inviting all the way through. And I I thought that was such, uh, just the way you start and end help orient us as we're on the road. Uh, so we don't, we, we can't confuse, what's what's happening and i i think just yeah as we sort of wrap up like Mm -hmm. that's a that's an important Mm -hmm. point to to pull together yeah what about you mason closing remarks my hope with the work if anyone interacts with it is that they would feel the invitation to come to christ and Mm. to know that he is for them loves them that the father son and holy spirit is inviting us into communion and into life and so, you know, the statement I say in the front of the book, uh, Chandler said that for years at our church, that God is not waiting for a future version of you to love. Mm-hmm. And working that out in the training program with our people week to week as I'm teaching, trying to say, yes, that's right. And he has a design for your life. Mm-hmm. He is not confused about who you're to become. He wants you to become a certain type of person. And it takes effort and wisdom to get there. Mm-hmm. But He's given you his Holy Spirit in you to get you there. Mm. And that take that takes our whole life. Um, and too many of us think like we just expect immediate results. And so my encouragement is come to Christ, be gracious, but be serious mm. and find joy over the decades of life with him. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Mason. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for giving us wisdom. Thank you for helping us think through spiritual disciplines, not by simply providing a list, but but by digging deeply into this idea of our being loved and kept and accepted by Christ and at the same time being wooed into something so much deeper and greater in terms of human flourishing. So thank you, brother. It's always a joy. Please buy his book, Spiritual Disciplines, How to Become a Healthy Christian.
Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from the Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on social or, and you can check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us, as well as connect with our guests in ways to support their work. We'll see you next time.